Unleavened Bread Ministries presents From your hands, your feet, your side Unleavened Bread Bible Studies with David Eels Can quench my thirsting soul Purest water made me whole Let your streams of mercy flow Oh Jesus, I trust in you Greetings, saints. Many blessings to you. Thank you for joining us today for the Unleavened Bread Bible Study. And uh, Father, thank you so much, Lord, for all you're doing in these days for your people. Thank you for drawing us unto you, giving us your will, guiding us in truth. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Okay, we're going to continue with Ministering Angels through UBM, number five. So what does the Bible say about angels visiting men? Well, I'll share a little bit with you. First of all, Hebrews 1 and 14 says, Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? Well, they serve us, as they have said in all things concerning the uh, broad scope of salvation, spirit, soul, body, and circumstances. They serve us, and they serve the Lord. Amen. Uh, Revelation 22, 8 and 9 says, I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things, and when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. But he said to me, You must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers, the prophets, and with those who keep the words of this book. Worship God. Well, the angels do not accept worship or prayers. They direct all prayers towards God. Um, in Psalm 34 and 7, the angel of the Lord encamps round about those who fear him and delivers them. So they are also our guardians when we accept through faith what the word says concerning us. We must stand on the word of God. And Daniel 6 and 22 says, My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouths, and they have not harmed me, because I was found blameless before him. And also before you, O king, have I done no harm. So, the angels have supernatural power over all flesh to save God's people. Um... Genesis 18, 8 through 10. And the Lord appeared to him by the oaks of Mamre. As he sat at the door of his tent in the heat of the day, he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing in front of him. And uh, I believe this was Jesus and two angels. Um, when he saw them, he ran from the tent, door to meet them and bowed himself to the earth and said, O Lord, 
If I have found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. Well, Abraham recognized uh, the preeminent one among them, you know, among the angels, uh, who, by the way, went on to visit Lot in Sodom and carry out their orders. So um, we see that God obviously visits his saints, his um, leadership, uh, his people, and for the purpose of manifesting that fullness of salvation. Matthew 26 and 53 says, Do you think that I cannot appeal to my Father and he will at once send me more than twelve legions of angels? Well, Jesus said the angels would defend him at his request. Amen. And, of course, Jesus didn't accept this deliverance because he was going to the cross. Amen. That's the purpose of God. And Colossians 1 and 16 says, For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. So, the heavenly invisible angels, both good and bad, serve the kingdom purposes. God is sovereign. He is over all. He is putting us in a place of training. Amen. Acts 1 and 10 says, And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes. Well, the angels were there during Jesus' death, burial, resurrection, and catching up to the throne. And it will be so with the man-child in our day. Acts 8 and 26 says, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go towards the south to the road that goes down to Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. So when angels give direction to us today, many times we say that the Spirit or God spoke this. But many times it has been spoken through angels. As I've said many times, they are perfect prophets because they give a clear and precise message from God. Luke 15 and 10 says, Just so I tell you, just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Well, notice that the angels are very happy at our successes. They're on our side. Amen. And Matthew 18 and 10 says, See that you do not despise one of these little ones, for I tell you that in heaven their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. Well, the angels stand before God for those who are innocent in their faith. Amen. And if we confess our faith, they are quick and ready to go forth and act. 
So Daniel 12 and 1 says, At that time shall arise Michael the great prince who has charge of your people. And there shall be a time of trouble such as never has been since there was a nation till that time. But at that time your people shall be delivered, everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. Well, we know that the crucifiers of God's people will be used and either saved or rejected. Michael is an enforcer of this. He is a great prince under our great king. In Revelation 12, 7 through 11 says, And there was war in heaven, Michael and his angels going forth to war with the dragon, and the dragon warred and his angels, and they prevailed not. Neither was their place found any more in heaven. And the great dragon was cast down, the old serpent, he that is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was cast down to the earth, and his angels were cast down with him. So we see here that the angels take uh, their authority to bring down the dominion of Satan when the saints agree in their words with the promises and with their bodies through the crucifixion. Because verse 10 goes on to say, And I heard a great voice in heaven saying, Now has come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, who accuseth them before our God day and night. And they overcame him. So we see why the angels are able to act. Um because of the blood of the Lamb and because of the word of their testimony and because they love not their life unto death. God has given us the victory in Christ. He has redeemed us out of the powers of our enemy, according to the word of God. If we stand on that and speak it and believe it, the angels have authority to go forth and do against our enemies. Luke 12, 8 and 9 says, And I say to you, everyone who confesses me before men, the Son of Man will confess him also before the angels of God. But he who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. So angels act upon our confession of faith. And uh, our orders, too, by the way. They uh, obey our orders when we speak in the name of the Lord. Acts twelve seven through 11 And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him, saying, Get up quickly. And the chains fell off his hands. And the angel said unto him, Dress yourself and put on your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, Wrap your cloak around you and follow me. So the angels will assist in the escape I believe, of many from death, just as they did here. And he went out and followed him. And a little further down, when Peter came to himself, he said, Now I am sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. Yes, he did. And he does it still. 
Isaiah 6, 1 through 4 says, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. And above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. So many people get hung up on the fact that people can still be on the earth physically and yet see angels. But this is a common occurrence in the Bible and with people who believe in such things. With people who believe the Bible, who stand on the Bible. Second Kings 19 and 35. And that night the angel of the Lord went out and struck down 185,000 in the camp of the Assyrians. And when people arose early in the morning, behold, these were all dead bodies. Well, the angels are mighty in power to strike down our enemies. Hebrews 13, 2 says, Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for by this some have entertained angels without knowing it. Well, sometimes angels appear as humans. And so... uh First Corinthians 4 9 says, For I think God hath exhibited us apostles last of all, as men condemned to death, because we have become a spectacle to the world, both to angels and to men. Well, I fully expect the wicked to reject these words from heaven in order to crucify the messengers, but the fruit and the revival will be glorious afterwards. Amen. We've been told we're going to be crucified, or I'm going to be crucified, for bringing this message of the angels. Galatians 1 and 8, But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, he is to be accursed. Well, yep, any angel that does not agree with the true gospel is an angel of light. And believe me, they can't agree with the true gospel. Not consistently. It's just not in their nature. Revelation 1 and 20. As for the mystery of the seven stars which thou saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. So this shows that angels have certain charges over ministries, over peoples, over areas. And uh, by the way, the demons do too. So there are many, many more examples in Scripture. And we'll leave a link at the top of this. You can look them up if you want. And these examples are of the angels' interactions with mankind. For people to say God doesn't do it that way, they don't agree with the Scriptures. Okay, here is um, a threat from a wicked man uh, in the Middle East against some of our brethren. Uh, We called it threats and scoffing of warrior evil and instructions from the Lord through angel 
Shemuel. So, warrior evil, he sent this to me. He said, go to hell. <laughs> he said, well, look at the date. The date was um, uh, 8-22-22. New beginnings of division. And of course, God is dividing the righteous from the wicked and through trials and tribulations, the wicked among us depart. So, in the time was 855, uh, new beginnings of grace. So, kind of, it can be new beginnings of warfare, of division, but also of grace. He says, Mr. Warrior, how can you fool all these people? They are not 10,000. They are thousands. No, actually, they are far more than 10,000. He's ignorant. Uh, Lord, rejoice with them, question mark. Ha, 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 ha. Holy Spirit, help them. Ha, 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 he says. Angels will be with them. It's time to expose your lies. The church bells are ringing now for your Passover. What he is ignorant of is that the Passover, uh, evil, uh, was taken down. The enemies of God's people were taken down at the Passover. The Passover was a Passover of them, and they struck the Egyptians, the enemy. He went on to say, Now everyone will see that there is no angel to protect you from the wrath of God. Well, this man is a Catholic assassin who is overseen by a cardinal, to try to destroy those who preach the true gospel. And uh, this that's his own confession that he is uh, overseen by a cardinal. He says, uh, your magic and its effect on them will end. The, he, they call this uh, person being born from above who will not fight with them or kill them. Uh, they think that this is uh, magic on them. He says it will end. Clarify the truth and people abandon you. Hmm. So the angel Shemuel said, Don't forget to deploy me abroad to continue fighting the enemies of UBM and all God's elect, both foreign and domestic. This is my charge concerning UBM and all that pertains to her. I am also assigned to coordinate um, with the angels in charge of UBM missionaries overseas and have been given permission to introduce their names and their functions for the benefit of your greater understanding and their edification and understanding. Um, well, Middle East missionary angels... Yeah, the angels who are over our missionaries in uh, the Middle East are Hananiah and Thaddeus. Uh, Hananiah means uh, grace, mercy, gift of the Lord. And Thaddeus means God's gift. Both of these are guardians as well as angels in charge of administering the gifts and the provisions 
for the leadership and the saints in the Middle East. Um, my note that I sent to the missionaries was to start praying and send the angels to destroy all works and plans of the enemy and to protect God's people. You have a spy in your midst. Ask the angels to show them up. It may be someone near the top because we just started speaking of angels. And of course, warrior angels, warrior evil was speaking of the angels. All right. Someone possibly who has access to your emails. Uh, we we will send Shemuel who has access to all the UBM angels there. That was my note to them. And David asked Shemuel for instructions for the missionary in the Middle East concerning warrior evil and the spies amongst them. And Shemuel said, Tell your brethren, the saints in the Middle East, to gather together and to discreetly go forth out of the city where the besieged are located. Well, in a dream, the buildings were accurately identified along with equipment, but we we must protect identities and places so we, we can't tell you everything that we know. Uh, and here uh, the dreamer said, After I woke up and was praying for the safety of the saints there, I remembered this scripture. In uh, Psalm 34 and 7, The angel of the Lord encampeth round about them that fear him, and delivereth them. Thank you, Father, that your angel is around these saints uh, that fear you to deliver them in Jesus' name. Amen. So anyway, uh, Shemuel went on to give them instructions as of where to go. Um, There the angels Hananiah and Thaddeus are waiting with a host of warriors to meet them in the spirit realm. And Eve said this morning, Michael Hare reported in our morning meeting that he saw a giant cloud in the shape of a hand moving across the sky in the same direction they were commanded to go, by the way, and said it represented the hand of God. And later he reported that there was a large cross-shaped cloud behind it. And this was a confirmation uh, for me of what Shemuel was telling the missionaries where to go. Uh, Eve said, I had a vision of the area they were to go, and it was uh, dusk in the vision, and there was uh, uh, an orange glow on the horizon. And I saw Hananiah and Thaddeus, 20 feet tall, standing with large flaming swords surrounded by a large circle of eight-foot-tall warrior angels facing outwards. Shemuel went on to say, The saints will bring any and all instruments and devices available to them. In other words, he's still giving them instructions, you know owned or borrowed, that can be used to make a joyful noise unto the Lord God, as well as their voices. 
lifted up in singing praise and shouts of thanksgiving and proclamations of victory over all their enemies in that region and beyond, right up to the very seats of power in the Catholic and the Coptic churches. Well, it reminded me of Psalm 149, 5-9. Let the saints exalt in glory. Let them sing for joy upon their beds. Let the high praises of God be in their mouth and a two-edged sword in their hand to execute vengeance upon the nations and punishment upon the peoples to bind their kings with chains and their nobles with fetters of iron to execute upon them the judgment written. This honor have all his saints. Praise ye the Lord. Amen. Praise is powerful to bring down the enemy. And as it's being proven here in the last many days, um, that praise has given people lots of victories and healing and deliverances and miracles and so on and so forth. Praise be to God. We're gathering these, these testimonies, too, to share with people, especially since the eighth day things that happen to people after the eighth day, or maybe even during the seven days, I don't know. So, they will sing and shout unto their master Jesus, still instructing them, our great general, and they will command in his name and authority the angels to go forth and destroy all the works of darkness and the plots against them, their buildings and equipment. Tell them to decree the fall of the false religions over their region. Well, you can't imagine that the devil would want anybody to do this. (laughs) Some people are goofy like that. They would consider this the devil telling them to do this. Well, impossible. Uh, The archangel Michael has been ordered to supplement the engagement and to assist with his warriors against the principalities over that region on their behalf in the second heaven. This will not be a battle fought and won in a day or a night. They must continue with these instructions and keep warring with their praise and thanksgiving to take over that region and gain more and more ground for the kingdom of their Master and Savior, Jesus. They will gather together as often as possible, all who can join in a different location each time. This location will be revealed by the Holy Spirit as they are obedient to gather and go forth. This knowledge of the location will be given to the leaders on a need-to-know basis. It will not be planned out ahead of time or spoken about Everyone will bring water and supplies and follow their leaders discreetly out to the locations that are to be revealed. This is for the safety of each praise and worship gathering, that no traps or ambushments can be set up ahead of them. Thule, that's T-H-U-E-L, Thuel, is the main demon principality over that region. He is the grand deceiver, an angel of light that disguises himself to look like Hananiah and Thaddeus, and he presents himself to men as being the bearer of truth to the factious, uh, religious leadership, and their followers. 
He has deceived many in the false religious system over there. Come against him in the name and authority of Jesus. And I'm telling you this, saints, so you too can do this. You can join in in your agreement. And this text will be out there so that you can read through it and pray and exercise your authority. Come against him in the name and authority of Jesus and declare him powerless and defeated. Command him to be stripped naked, bare for all to see what he really is. Break his power and grip off that region with your praises, thanksgivings, and shouts and proclamations of victory. Also, with the understanding that there is no timeline in the spiritual realms. This Friday, when the UBM saints gather to praise and worship, they too will come alongside of the saints in the Middle East in singing praise and shouts of thanksgiving and proclamations of victory over Thuel and all the enemies of the missionaries in that region of the Middle East and beyond and up to the very seats and power in the false Christian religions. Amen. These religions hold people in bondage and don't mind killing people that may be causing people to leave their dead churches because they're being born again. (laughs) Uh, We're going back to questions and answers with the angels uh, number three. David asked Baruch, What signs will you give us for all those who need signs to believe your messages? And Baruch said, For the scoffers and the critics, no amount of signs will be enough, just as it was in your Savior Jesus' time, and in the time of the apostles and the prophets of old up to this current day. Many have had signs and miracles already uh, that what we've spoken is true. This is true. Tell them to share all their testimonies of faith and of our faithful God and His Son, Jesus, your Savior. Amen. Well, this is in progress now. We are collecting the testimonies from the saints since the eighth day uh, fast and anointing uh, and the days and weeks following. If you would like to send them to us, we will include them. Okay. David asked, Can we have proof that the faction is being destroyed? Baruch said, Proof that the faction is being destroyed and has already been destroyed has been given. And by the way, they tell you things that uh, ahead of time so that you speak and believe them so that they come to pass. Yes. Uh, And... uh, It has been given even in recent dreams and is already accomplished in the spiritual realm. I've already spoken to you that timings for all things are according to your Father's plan. Each is dealt with individually. We must stay within our bounds. We cannot exceed them according to man's will or ways. Someone made a slip-up. Uh, when praying for more wisdom and discernment to be poured out upon them, asking uh, Jerul to do it for him in the form of a prayer. And Jerul said, You must ask your father and not me. 
And then he quoted a portion of James 1 and 17. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. So you see there, they do not accept your prayers. They do accept your commands against the enemies and against the works of darkness uh, because they're in agreement with the Word of God. Eve said, Then I heard Father's voice speak after this, and he said, David is truly my beloved son, and I will cause men to hold him in high esteem for my ministry's sake, and he will glorify me to all that I send his way. This word was spoken to confirm two words given to David uh, recently. Well, um, um, here's a... Uh, a word we got from Lakeisha Watson and um, 8.15.22. And uh, it was, truly this is a son of God. So Lakeisha said, well, I'm sharing this not to glorify myself, uh, but to point out to people that the wicked are going to come against this and they are going to come against me. And as you will see in just a few minutes. Um, Lakeisha said, I would like to share a small thing that happened to me today. As I was reading Mark 15 and 39, David accidentally called me at 10.10 a.m. Yeah, it was a pocket call. <laughs> the part of that verse I had just finished reading when David made this pocket call said, Truly this man was the Son of God. However, a footnote in the ASV says, A son of God. Of course, a Roman soldier would could very easily believe that because they believed in many gods, right? A son of God, ASV. Okay, this is being used because Jesus said, Whatsoever you have done to the least of these my disciples, you have done it unto me. When they crucify one of God's saints they are crucifying him okay and all we are all sons of god through faith in jesus christ and we claim it and it's ours he mentioned that uh, eve had also gotten the exact same words and uh, i took it that father was saying that david is indeed one of his sons eve replied this totally confirms the word I received from him back in mid-July in Matthew 27 and 54. My finger was on the underlined phrase. And the verse goes, Now the centurion and they that were with him watching Jesus when they saw the earthquake and the things that were done feared exceedingly, saying, Truly this was the Son of God. Or, Again, a son of God, as above. So, um, I believe this is more credible, actually, because of the Roman soldier, you know. Um, so then, we get this, okay. Uh, this was given to Marilyn Clink, 823-22. And we called it the man-child David's final crucifixion. Last night, Father woke me up to pray, so I got up and went to Barry's study and 
prayed for individuals that were being placed on my heart. When I was leaving the study, I saw 1.44 on the digital clock on the desk. I then heard in my spirit, pray for David. I wasn't getting anything specific to pray, so I was mostly praying that Father would give him grace, wisdom, strength, protection, and courage. And then I went back to bed, but was very restless and unable to get back to sleep. This morning, when I asked the Lord for a verse, my finger came down on, For Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. Hmm. Herod was an Edomite. He was a part of the faction against God's people. And, of course, he killed the, uh, the children who were contemporaries with Jesus the man-child, but he did not get Jesus the man-child. Matthew 2 and 13. And when they were departed, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, and take the young child and his mother, and flee into Egypt. And be thou there until I bring you word, for Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. Lastly, a couple of nights ago, I had a very brief dream, and I knew that I was at Calvary with other people who were standing around like spectators and that David was about to be crucified. I didn't see him, but I knew that they were just about to nail him to the cross. And that was the end of the dream. So, David asked Baruch, What kind of crucifixion is this going to be? And Baruch answered, Listen carefully. This persecution will come because of our words and messages that we have brought to you and to the saints of UBM. Some who are now associated with UBM will stumble and fall away because of hidden criticisms, scoffing, unbelief, idols, and hardness of heart. This is the final crucifixion before the resurrection and appearing of Christ in his first fruits anointed ones, uh, the man child reformers. Well, that's good news. Crucifixion is here, and uh, after that is resurrection, caught up to the throne, and the man child reformers appear. And the revival starts. So, again, we go to other questions. Uh, David asked, Can you tell me what you can you can about how the money will come? And we were talking about uh, the money for to spread the gospel around the world and to feed and, uh, and uh, serve the people of God. And Baruch said, we do not have details of all the ways your father will send it, but we can tell you that men will heap it into your bosom. Well, I can tell you that this is just an answer to Scripture. and This is because our ministry has given everything to get the gospel out freely, as those that know us know. Um, Luke 6 and 38 Give, and it shall be given unto you, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over shall they give into your bosom. There it is. 
So that's the Word of God right there. Um, For with what measure you meet, it shall be measured to you again. I can tell you people have given down to their last pennies uh, to make sure that the uh, not only our ministry but the evangelists overseas are all uh, capable and able to do their job. And uh, not that we don't need a lot more, we do. And uh, this is this is why I asked this question. So David said, "Tell us what the saints need to hear at this time." And Baruch said, "Rejoice, for you are now entering into." a great time of grace and power that the Father is pouring out upon the first fruits. Keep emptying yourselves, overcome unbelief, and ask your Father to fill you more and more with his faith. Amen. We pray that right now, Lord, in the name of Jesus, um, that we be overcomers, uh, that we overcome any unbelief, And, Father, we ask you to fill us more and more with your faith, your gifts of faith. Then Baruch said, Behold, your king is coming. Continue on in living meagerly before the Lord after your fast. A great outpouring is coming and is already upon you. And we found out that the outpouring was to come after the crucifixion and the appearing of the man-child ministry, right? Because they bring the, uh, the revival, right? He goes on to say, In the days to come you will see many more miracles, not only confirming all that has been spoken to you, but also the ministry of UBM. Word will spread exponentially as these things start to take place, and men will be so inspired and impressed with the Lord in your midst that they will bestow their gifts of wealth and their assets upon the ministry. And again, this is not to enrich any one of us. This is, we all live a crucified, uh, meager life, (laughs) and this is to serve others by spreading the gospel and meeting their needs. Okay, here's a message from our Father given through the angel over uh, UBM Baruch uh, for those in local and larger UBM. Okay. And that's August 22nd, 2022. Okay, and this is first a note from me. Uh, Father is preparing all in UBM to be provided for in the coming days of scarcity. I don't know if you know that or not. There's a lot of baloney out there about the thousand years of peace, but we know what the book of Revelation tells us, especially in chapter 6, what is coming. Scarcity. And uh, Acts 2, 44 and 45 uh, is a good example of this. Uh, everyone will receive from the Lord their reward. Those that give towards the ministries uh, that are uh, out there that are doing this will on the front lines, hazarding their lives every day, uh, living a very meager lifestyle. It, the Bible says, Give, Luke 6 and 38, Give, and it shall be given unto you good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over shall they give into your bosom. We want to be a channel for God's uh, funds 
to go through us to meet the needs of these people. There is a tremendous revival happening. In fact, in a couple of continents. For with what measure you meet, it shall be measured to you again. That's right. If you sow bountifully, you'll reap bountifully. That's what the Lord says. So, first of all, I want to tell you that I received no money from UBM. Okay. And uh, secondly, this angel has passed the test of 1 John 4, 1 through 3. And thirdly, he has been proven correct every time. Um, This is not for UBM. It is to make sure that the needs of all of your brethren are met from the overabundance of others. Uh, If it's wrong today to do this, it was wrong for the apostles in the book of Acts to do it, because that's what they did. And this is where we're going. The angels have told us we're going to uh, finish that book of Acts <laughs> in our day. Yeah. Um, so we're not here to be enforcers of what I'm about to tell you. The sacrifices that the saints gave in Acts paved the way for a great revival, which the angels have stated is about to be poured out. So listen carefully. And you can ask for your own confirmations. Okay. As for the ministry's financial needs, Baruch said, Our great God is bringing back the first century Book of Acts church operations. Yes. And why? Because in Ecclesiastes 1 and 9, we are told, That which hath been is that which shall be, and that which hath been done is that which shall be done. There is no new thing under the sun. History just repeats. So here we are in the time that I've been telling you history is going to repeat, and it's repeating. Uh, He went on to say, Everyone who has partaken in the blessings that UBM has bestowed upon their lives are commanded to sell all things of value that do not pertain to life and sustenance, uh, all things that were purchased or obtained for the purposes of fulfilling the wants and desires of the flesh, and to contribute any excess monies. Again, this is excess. Anything over and above what you need to pay off debts and bills and your daily needs, right? So, and this, of course, puts you into a position like I have been for many years, into a position where you have to have faith in God, and you live day by day by faith, okay? So, he says, uh, contribute any excess monies that have been hoarded up for retirement living. Did you? I'm going to tell you that that stuff, that money is going to be stolen down the road. If you don't spend it for the kingdom of God, And you're not under the tithe. Jesus said, if you don't renounce everything you have, you cannot be my disciple. All of it belongs to him. He's the one that tells you what to do with it. Uh, So all that have been hoarded up for retirement living or children or children's children or that has been clung to as a safety net or a crutch so as to avoid a true walk of faith in the daily provisions of your father. 
Do not be an Ananias or a Sapphira, saying, I have given all, and yet you lie to yourselves and the elders. And Baruch said, All will be supplied from the same pot. In other words, God wants equality. He wants everybody's needs met. These people who are hazarding their lives, for instance, and we here all have a meager income. You know, we, we, we don't mind that. We, uh, we are not here to be rich. And, um, but there needs to be a, a using of the wealth that's been stored up, which is going to be stolen, as Jesus said. Right, store down up your treasures on earth where moth and rust and thieves break through and steal. It will happen. Every saint of UBM will have some skin in the game. What their meaning is, uh, we're all going to be involved in making sure this gospel gets out. Everyone who has power over their own belongings and monies will now be responsible to shoulder the burden for UBM and her support. Do not say within your hearts. I have given plenty, and therefore I am justified before God. Let others step up and give. Well, saints, I, I never dreamed, I do I have known, uh, you know, that the book of Acts was going to be instituted at this particular moment. I didn't know this was going to be sprung on us at all. And uh, it's not my doing, nor my sayings here. Okay. None among the children of Israel, when they gathered the manna, were left with more than their day's portion. Those who gathered little and those who gathered much ended up with just what they needed for that day. Yeah, Exodus sixteen seventeen through 21 says, And the children of Israel did so and gathered some more, some less. And when they measured it with an omer, he that gathered much had nothing over. And he that gathered little had no lack. They gathered every man according to his eating. And Moses said unto them, Let no man leave of it until the morning. In other words, don't store it up, save it up, whatever. Notwithstanding, they hearkened not unto Moses. But some of them left of it until the morning, and it bred worms and became foul. And Moses was wroth with them. In other words, they lost it. They could have had a reward, you know, but instead they just lost it. And they gathered it morning by morning, every man according to his eating. Every morning. That's a walk of faith. Second Corinthians 8, 9-15 says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor. Oh, that you through his poverty might become rich. And it didn't stop there. And herein I give my judgment, for this is expedient for you. In other words, you are supposed to do the same thing. Become poor to make others have their needs met, right? Who were the first to make a beginning a year ago, not only to do, but also to will. Some people say, it's well, if you will it, that's, that's enough. No, nope. he says, you have to do it. But now, and I've done this uh, almost all of my Christian life, over 50 years I've done this. I've given all of my excess to the needs I saw around me. And every time I had a need, God came through with miracles. 
Verse 11, But now complete the doing also, that there was the readiness to will, so there may be the completion also out of your ability. Amen. So God is saying, just like Jesus gave himself and gave up of his life to uh, take care of the poor, so we are to do the same thing. Especially those that are on the front line hazarding their lives. Which, by the way, I am. <laughs> they have sent everything against me to try to kill me. For if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according as a man hath, not according as he hath not. So God's not making you responsible for what you don't have. For I say not this, that others may be eased and you distressed. So he didn't want you to, uh, you know, get put yourself in the hole for everybody else to be lifted up and you left in the hole, right? But by equality, there it is. This is what God wants, equality. Your abundance, in other words, your what's over, what you need for the day, right? But your abundance being a supply at this present time for their want, that their abundance also may become a supply for your want, that there may be equality. God wants equality. As it is written, he that gathered much had nothing over, and he that gathered little had no lack. So he's confirming what we just read recently. In 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 11, But this I say, he that soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly, and he that soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. It's not like you're giving anything up. You're sowing this in order to have not only a reward here, but in heaven. He said you'll reap bountifully. And it can be in many ways that you reap it back, by the way, in your body, in your lifestyle, in things not breaking down, in deliverance from the curse, so on and so forth. Let each man do according as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity. In other words, we're not under the law of tithe. That was a necessity. For God loveth a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound unto you, that you, having always all... Listen at this. This is a promise for those that give bountifully towards the work of the kingdom. And God is able to make all grace abound unto you, that you, having always all sufficiency in everything, may abound unto every good work. As it is written, He has scattered abroad, He hath given to the poor, His righteousness abideth forever. And he that supplies seed to the sower, notice, notice, it's not for you to keep when he multiplies it back. And he that supplies seed to the sower and bread for food shall supply and multiply your seed for sowing. So your rewards get greater and greater as you become a channel through whom God blesses the people that need to be blessed. And increase the fruits of your righteousness, you being enriched in everything unto all liberality, 
which worketh through us thanksgiving to God. This is how it is commanded to be among you from this day forward. Many more will be joining themselves to you in the coming days, and they will need to see this example and the way of life from you all. Yes, amen. Okay, so he wants us to reflect what is scriptural. Is is there anything different about what we've been saying? He wants us to reflect what is scriptural. We, it's very clear. Okay, back to Baruch. It will no longer be David alone living this way. He has been faithful to his God and the saints all these many years to bring you the message and the example of wilderness living and to be uh, to you a shining example of faithfulness towards God and obedience to his way. All will now put these teachings into practice. Well, you can see they come straight out of the Word of God. Okay. I didn't write these. God wrote these. Okay. These angels are just agreeing with the Word of God. A book of records has now been opened in heaven for the last century book of Acts Church. As this message has been brought forth to all in UBM, your free will, offerings, and acts of obedience, as well as any disobediences and the hardening of hearts at the promptings of the Holy Spirit, will now be recorded and witnessed. All who humble themselves to this message from our God and great King will be greatly rewarded in this life and in the life to come. Amen. We have said nothing but what we've quoted the scriptures to show you. It tells you the same thing. But those who allow demons of selfishness, greed, fear, and fear of man to dictate their choices in this matter will lose everything in the times just ahead. God will destroy those idols of money and things and will not allow them to remain to fulfill the purpose for which they were stored up. Jesus said, Do not store up your treasures on earth where moth and rust and thieves break through and steal. Will you be obedient? But the most tragic consequence of disobedience to this command will be much loss of the eternal rewards that have been prepared for them in heaven. Make for yourselves purses that wax not old to the glory of our God and the corporate benefit of the body of Christ. Ecclesiastes 5:11 and 13 and 14 says, when goods increase, they are increased that eat them. And what advantage is there to the owner thereof save the beholding of them with his eyes? So if you're hoarding it up, somebody's doing without. When goods increase, they are increased that eat them. And he goes on to say in verse 13, There is a grievous evil which I have seen under the sun, namely, riches kept by the owner thereof to his hurt. And those riches perish by evil adventure. There you go. You see it again. It, it bred worms in the wilderness. Okay, now you see it again. Those riches perish by evil adventure, 
And if he hath begotten a son, there is nothing in his hand. Well, okay. So, Baruch goes on to say, All will get into the same boat, or be left out in the cold of the winter of judgments that are coming upon the economies and the peoples of the world. What a message! And straight out of the Word of God. The angels are totally agreeing with what the Word has said. Give glory to God, saints. Join in this great adventure. Learn to walk by faith day by day for your provision. And even when you walk into a wilderness, it will be there if God has to feed you out of heaven. (laughs) We are about to enter the tribulation. Amen. And you need your uh, gifts stored up in heaven under our Joseph, who is Jesus. Listen, when it's in heaven, nobody can steal it, and you can get it anytime you need it. Amen. So store it up there. Amen. Thank you, Father, for this blessed word in Jesus' name. And uh, thank you for your... Uh, love and uh, cooperation in the saints to do this wonderful thing that you have planned to do to preserve your people and to preserve those who are working very hard to get the gospel out thank you father thank you father amen and michael Hare comes and uh, just uh, father please bless michael and all the brethren that are with him and uh, we love you lord we praise you We keep on giving thanks for you, Lord, and all you have done. In Jesus' name, amen. Good night, saints. Well, thank you, Brother David. God bless you. Hello, saints. Good to be back with you again. Let's go ask the Lord for help here. (laughs) Father God, I just thank you so much for your continual teaching us the Word, showing us the things in the Word to bring us into that hundredfold fruit, Lord. We praise you for the times that we're in. It's awesome times, Lord, and we thank you for it. We thank you, Lord, that today I ask that you anoint us to get this message over, spirit over soul, and we thank you, Lord. It's going to be a blessing to the people in Jesus' name. Well, that's what I want to talk to you about is spirit over soul. The Lord empowers us through our spirit to come against the flesh, the carnal man that is dwelling in the promised land, in the land of the soul. The Lord is sending his advice and his power through the spirit, and the devil sends his advice and his power through the flesh. And both of them want to control the soul because that's where your nature and your character and your thinking and your mind is. God is basically showing us here how this all works. And it works when we as the spiritual man confesses the word of God. That's the sword. Take up that sword of the spirit and the sword will conquer. There's none of the enemy, none of them, that will be able to stand before us with that word. And by that, I mean none of the lusts of the flesh will be able to stand before us when we take the promised land. If you remember, that's what God told Joshua. God also said, don't let this word depart out of your mouth and you'll have good success. 
He was supposed to speak the word. And if you speak the word, God said he would give you success in conquering the promised land. These people in Numbers 13 were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And all these people were baptized in the spirit. And the Bible says so according to time. They were all baptized in the spirit, in the cloud. That's the spirit and in the sea. They were baptized in water. They were all baptized. There was a great falling away and a great falling away that happened here over in Numbers 13 and 14 was because they believed that bad report. And the reason they didn't make it through the wilderness and go on and conquer in the promised land was because they believed that bad report. They died in the wilderness because they believed the bad report. Now, the bad report was not a lie, but it was a, the uh, what they saw with their physical eyes. And they, they saw these giants, and it made them afraid. God doesn't tell us to confess the giants as giants, does he? Well, you got to whittle them down to size by confessing the promises. That's what Joshua and Caleb did. They confessed the promises. You have to take the promised land by force. It ain't going to be something automatic. You have to forcefully take your promised land. And you've got to forcefully take your promised land. We've got to take the sword of the Spirit, go into our promised land, and conquer that Canaanite enemy. And folks, he ain't going to be able to stand before you if you take the sword of the Spirit. There ain't nothing he has that can defend him against that word. Joshua and Caleb said their defense is taken away from over them. They are just bread for us. And they were the only two out of that whole bunch that said that. The congregation was listening to the ten who saw the giants. And although they saw that it was a, a beautiful land, a land of milk and honey, they said, and full of fruit, but they were not willing to go in there because they didn't believe God. People see things in their lives that have been with them all their life. Things they have inherited or sins they have fallen into in their own life. But they see them as giants and they don't think that they can conquer them. And what we're talking about here, the lust of the flesh dwelling in the land of the soul, it's been given to the spirit man. The Lord told them that he gave that land to them and it was theirs. It was theirs before they came there. It was theirs before they left Egypt because God promised it to them and all they had to do was believe it. One of the guys that did the conquering was Caleb and his name means forceful. He took his land even when he got to be an old man because of the falling away of the Israelites. He had to go out and travel around the wilderness again because of their lack of faith. When he came back, he took his land even as an old man. Now, there's another word in the New Testament that means forceful, and that's in Matthew 11 and 12. It says, and from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and men of violence take it by force. That word there, violence, is the word forceful. Except this one is in the Greek and the other one's in Hebrew. But both of them means forceful. 
men of violence take it by force. It ain't automatic. You have to fight for that promised land of the soul. You're going to have to fight for it. You're going to have to take up your sword and, 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 and kill the enemy. And that enemy is not going to sit on his Lord, uh, sword. He's going to come against you with all he has. Because he wants to take back everything God has given you. And the only way that you're going to conquer him is to take up your sword and swing it. The Bible says in Jeremiah 48 and 10, Cursed be he that does the work of the Lord negligently, and cursed be he that keeps back his sword from the blood. Cursed is he that keeps back his sword from the blood. God has given us a sword. He he, he commands us to take it up, the sword of the Spirit, and fight this spiritual battle. Now, the Bible talks a lot about the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of God is where God rules, but the kingdom of heaven is different in a way because the kingdom of heaven of heaven is not only where God rules, but where the curse has been conquered. There ain't no curse in heaven. So the kingdom of heaven is not only where God rules, but it's where the curse is conquered. Matthew thirteen thirty three says, another, another parable spake he unto them. The kingdom of heaven is like unto leaven, which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal until it was all leaven. Well, when God was talking about mankind's spirit, soul, and body, the three measures of meal, God hides within that his leaven until it leavens the whole lump. Not only does the devil do the same thing, we're told in 1 Corinthians 5, verses 6 and 8, your glorying is not good. Know ye not that a little leaven leavens the whole lump. Verse 7, purge out the old leaven that you may be a new lump, even as ye are unleavened. For our Passover also hath been sacrificed, even Christ. Wherefore, let us keep the feast, not with the old leaven, neither with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the un leavened bread of sincerity and truth. Purge out the old leaven from among you, he says. Well, in other words, put out those people who are, who are in wickedness. You got to move them out. God's kingdom is also likened unto leaven because the disciples understood that when Jesus talked about heaven, he was talking about teaching. The Lord has teaching just like the devil's got teaching, just like the Pharisees have teaching. His teaching will conquer you. That's what he wants. His teaching is the sword of the spirit. It's the word of God spoken in Ephesians chapter six. That's what his teaching is. He puts that in your spirit. Sometimes we don't realize what the Bible says is in us. You know what God put in us? He put that leaven in us. And what that leaven is, is the seed. A seed has all the properties of a full-grown plant inside it. It has all of the gifts of the full-grown plant in the seed. Philemon 1 and verse 6 says that the fellowship of thy faith may become effectual in the knowledge of every good thing which is in you unto Christ. Y'all see that? God says that every good thing is in you if indeed ye have a born-again spirit, the spirit of Christ. 
every good thing is in you, and you have to know of it. It's more than acknowledging it. You have to know it and actually walk in it. Your faith will become effectual in the knowledge of every good thing which is in you. You have to know what God put in you. For one thing, he put that leaven in you. He put that word. He put that seed in you. Then that seed has the ability to conquer your whole being. That seed is what the Israelites were to the promised land. They went into the promised land and their ability was to conquer and to live in that promised land. The Canaanites don't belong there. The Canaanites were the flesh and they had taken over the promised land. They didn't have a right there and they had no business there and God wanted them killed. He didn't want them pushed out on the, he wanted every one of them killed. The flesh has to die and the kingdom of heaven suffers violence. Listen, folks, we are the kingdom of heaven. Our spirit is the third heaven and our soul is the second heaven and the first heaven, which is the earthly heaven, is our body. Now stop and think about it. God who is in the third heaven, the Bible says, drove Satan out, who is called the prince of the power of the air, who is now in the second heaven. And in the time of the book of Revelation, chapter 12, the Bible says you're going to be cast down to the earth. The Bible says in Revelation 11 and 15, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. First of all, Satan was driven out of the third heaven, then driven out of the second heaven, and ultimately driven off the earth. Well, what does that mean? In all of this, what's taking place is the kingdom of heaven. Now look at yourself, because not only is this corporate, it's individual also. Individually, Satan and the flesh have been driven from your spirit. You were given a new spirit, and that spirit is where the kingdom of heaven is. You know why? Because not only does God rule in your spirit, but also there's no curse there. Now, God did that for a purpose, and so if we're obedient to his word, the spirit man will conquer the fleshly man in the land of the soul, and he'll be driven from the second heaven. And that's a perfect parallel. You know, God is so beautiful about how he puts things together. And there's a lot of parables for us to look at and see. The Bible says we can look at nature and understand God. Jesus gave parables about nature, didn't he? And yet those physical parables about nature were about spiritual things in the spiritual realm. So that's what he's doing here. He's showing us that what God put in your spirit is the seed. And it has within it all the power to bring forth the full-grown plant. That full plant is already in your spirit. It just has to grow up. It has to take its place. And the Bible says in Matthew chapter 11 and verse 12, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and men of violence take it by force. Take it by force. Well, who had to take this world? The Bible says that the kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This world, folks, is the kingdom of heaven. And it's going to be taken for God and taken from the carnal. The meek shall inherit the earth, what the Bible says. 
the wicked will be rooted out of it, the Bible says. So guess what? God's got a plan. And his plan is the three heavens are going to be the kingdom of heaven. Now, it hadn't fully manifested yet, but it hadn't fully manifested in our life either. Who is it that's going to be used of God to cast Satan and his angels out of the second heaven? The Bible says in Revelation chapter 12 and verse 11, they overcame him because they loved not their life unto death because of the word of their testimony and because of the blood of Jesus. They overcame and they were the ones who walked by faith and cast Satan out of their second heaven. So he couldn't stay in the second heaven either. You have to take your authority and you have to fight this war because it is a war. Think about your spirit, your first heaven. First of all, where is the kingdom of heaven? Well, Jesus said in Luke chapter 17 and verse 20, and being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God comes, he answered him and said, the kingdom of God cometh not with observation. In other words, you can't see the kingdom of God. It's here, but you can't see it. And then verse 21, neither shall they say, lo, here or there, for lo, the kingdom of God is within you or in your midst. Where is the kingdom of God? <clears throat> the kingdom of God is your spiritual man because that's where God rules. We know that it's in the spirit of every born again Christian. God rules. Now, the spirit of man is sanctified or else you ain't saved. When you first come to the Lord, your spirit gets saved. You get a new spirit, is what Ezekiel said, a new spirit. He said, I will put my spirit within you. That's two different spirits there. So it, that is a sanctified spirit. And if it wasn't a sanctified spirit, God's spirit would not come to dwell in it. And it wouldn't be called the Holy of Holies where God's spirit dwells. Your spirit is the Holy of Holies. But the holy place is the soul and the outer court is the flesh and all of that has to be conquered. And we know that in the soul there is this entity called the mind of the spirit. And there's also there an entity called the mind of the flesh. The mind of the flesh is death and the mind of the spirit is life and peace. And it's really up to you if you want to follow it or who you want to give that power to. You and your mind have a battle to win. Second Corinthians chapter 10 verses 3 through 5 tells you plainly about the battle. Now look at the battle. There's a battle to be won for the kingdom of heaven. Now, if you don't win that battle, you lose. You're not going to bear fruit. You'll lose the promised land. And this is the battle that has to be won. It's the battle of a good confession. It's the battle of holding to the word like Joshua and Caleb did. Receive with meekness the inborn word which is able to save your soul. Well, what's the word? That's the sword of the spirit. If a person doesn't give the sword to their spirit, they're not, you can't expect to take the land of the soul. They can't expect to take the promised land. Joshua and Caleb had to take that land with the sword, and we do too. Now, here's the sword at work right here in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 3. 
For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh, for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but mighty before God to the casting down of stronghold. You see, there's a stronghold in people that has to be cast down. That's a stronghold of the devil. Well, what's he doing there? Well, he came through the lust of the flesh. That's his stronghold. Verse 5, casting down imagination. Well, where's that? That's in your mind and in your soul. And every high thing that has exalted itself against the knowledge of God. Well, what's that? That's the bad report. First of all, what do you get in your imagination that makes you think you can't really take this promised land? That's the bad report. That's what your flesh is telling you. And that's what the devil's telling you. And bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Well, that's how you win the war, by the sword of the Spirit. And bringing thoughts into captivity into the obedience of Christ. The only thoughts that are obedient to Christ in the Word of God is the Word of the Spirit. And that's the only way you're going to win this battle. If you let your mind just go any way it wants to go, you're never going to bear fruit. And it ain't possible to bear fruit that way. There are thoughts that are legal, and there are thoughts that are illegal. And if you dwell on the illegal thoughts, you're going to let the flesh win the battle. The Canaanite is going to dwell in the land, and there won't be a thing that you can do about it. Those thoughts are illegal. So we need to study the scriptures, find out what it is to think right. The Bible says in Romans 12 and verse 2 to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Well, what's transformed? That's sanctified. It's conquering the land and it's being born again in your soul, saving your soul. Well, how are you going to save your soul? With the word of God. We have to think the word, speak the word. Josh and Caleb spoke the word and they thought, and they also thought the word. We have to do it or we're going to lose the battle. You remember what was said in Philemon, that every good thing is already in you. Well, certainly it's not in your flesh, it's in your spirit. It's what God put in your spirit. Look in Ephesians chapter 1. What do we have in heaven and when do we get it? Ephesians 1 and 3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, in Christ. Well, now, what part of you is in Christ? Your spirit is in Christ, and the part of your soul that is sanctified is in Christ. Your flesh is not in Christ. The Bible says the flesh is an enemy of God. And the part of your soul that's fleshly, which is the mind of the flesh thinking, and the nature of the flesh, that's not in Christ. So he says, in Christ in heavenly places, he has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. Now you can see your spirit right there. So how do we take the promised land? And how do we conquer our enemies? Do we have to go to heaven? Well, let me make a point here. God said we have everything we need to take the promised land. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 30 and verse 11. For this commandment which I command thee this day, it is not too hard for thee, neither is it far off. It is not in heaven that thou shouldst say, Who shall go up for us to heaven and bring it unto us and make us to hear it? 
that we may do it. Neither is it beyond the sea that thou shouldest say, Who shall go over the sea for us and bring it unto us and make us to hear it that we may do it? But the word is very nigh unto thee in thy mouth and in thy heart that thou mayest do it. So you ain't got to go any further. You have every weapon that you need to come against the devil right now. You see, it's in your mouth and in your heart, he said. Look at verse 15. See, I have set before thee this day life and good and death and evil. In that, I command thee this day to love the Lord thy God, to walk in his ways and to keep his commandments and his statutes and his ordinances, that thou mayest live and multiply. So you can come against the enemy with the sword. Joshua and Caleb did, and they spoke the word. Now, remember who Joshua and his fellows represented. They represented the spiritual man, and they were taking Canaan's land, the promised land, the land of the promise. And it's also called the land of rest. And the Lord said, you shall find rest in your souls. Joshua 1, chapter, uh, chapter 1, and verse 5 says, There shall not any man be able to stand before thee all the days of thy life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with thee. I will not fail thee, nor forsake thee. Be strong and of good courage, for thou shalt cause this people to inherit the land which I swear unto their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous to observe to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded thee. Turn not from it to the right hand or to the left, that thou mayest have good success whithersoever thou goest. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate thereon day and night that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, then thou shalt have good success. Have not I commanded thee? Be strong and of good courage, be not affrighted, neither be thou dismayed, for the Lord thy God is with thee whithersoever thou goest. In other words, since I commanded you, you can do it. And he ain't going to command you to do something that you can't do. Not only that, he says, don't let the word depart out of your mouth that thou mayest observe to do. In other words, if it's in your mouth, you're going to be able to do it. The Bible says in James chapter 3 that the rudder turns the whole ship and the tongue turns the body. Well, it sure does. That's what the Bible says. If you begin to speak, what the Bible says about you and about your circumstances, you will conquer the promised land. That is the sword of the spirit. That's the sword coming right from the hand of the spirit in your spirit, man. It's coming right out of your mouth. He says you will conquer and you will win that battle. He says he has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. When did you get seated in the heavenly places? Well, Ephesians 2 and 5 says, Even when we were dead through our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace have you been saved, and raised us up with him, 
made us to sit with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Well, when that happened, it happened when you received a new spirit. You were seated with Christ in heavenly places. The kingdom of heaven started in you when you received that new spirit. And you were raised up and made to sit with him in heavenly places. And not only talking about up there physically above us, but up right here. Our third heaven was cleansed just like the third heaven was cleansed from Satan and his angels. Our heaven was cleansed when we came to the Lord and we were seated with Christ in heavenly places. Folks, that's just the beginning. Now we got this warfare. Now he's telling us the same thing he told Joshua in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 10. It says, finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For our wrestling is not against flesh and blood, but against the principalities, against the powers, against the world rulers of this darkness, against the spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. The strongholds that we're casting now are the strongholds that are in our soul that Satan has put there through the flesh. And basically, most of us just wrong thinking. We think the way the ten spies do sometimes. We learn to think with what we saw, what we felt, what we heard. We've been trained that way. Just like the ten spies, they just spoke what they saw. They were honest, but they were rebellious against God. They were honest according to their eyesight and ears, but were rebellious according to the word of God. 1 Corinthians 2 and 14 says, A natural man receives not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. And that's the way a lot of people walk. They walk after the natural man. They're in rebellion against the Word. And if you're walking after sight, you have an evil heart of unbelief, and you ain't going to enter into the promised land. Hebrews chapter 3 says that, except it doesn't call the promised land the promised land there. It calls it the land of rest. You're going to enter into his rest. An evil heart of unbelief will keep us from entering into his rest. Why did they call it rest? Well, rest is when they had conquered their enemies in the promised land. And when you believe the word of God, it's no problem to conquer your enemies. He can stand before the sword of the Spirit when you believe and confess the Word of God. It's a big problem when you're thinking the way you used to think and talking the way you used to talk. That's a problem. You don't have a sword and the devil will whittle you up. Man, he'll carve you right up. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 13 says, Wherefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. And what we're talking about is a couple of battlegrounds here. There's a first, second, and third heaven. The things that we have in the third heaven, we have to go through the second heaven to get them. The second heaven is a realm that's different realm than the first heaven. The first heaven is a physical realm. The second heaven occupies in many ways the same space, except it's a dimensional realm a different dimension. 
Now, the devil might be here in the second heaven, but he has to walk out of the second heaven into the first heaven for you to see. There's a kind of a twilight zone there, you see. The second heaven is not a physical heaven. And the third heaven is not a physical heaven. The first heaven is physical. You have to step into the spirit to see the second and the third heaven. The first heaven is where we are right here, earthly heaven that we see around the earth. The first heaven is a part of creation, and the Bible even says that it will pass away. At the end of this age, it's going to pass away. The second heaven is the place where Satan and his angels rule from right now. And the third heaven is where Satan was cast out. Also, the Bible says in the book of Revelation, at the time when this world becomes the kingdom of our Lord, just before that, Satan's going to be cast down to the earth. He's being cast out, one, two, three. Well, here's the thing. He's supposed to be cast out of us the same way, one, two, three, from the highest to the lowest. And the last being the lowest creation. The earth is the lowest creation of all the three heavens. Our flesh is the lowest creation of the three heavens. Now, we didn't have anything to do with his first casting out. We accepted Jesus, but we did that because God gave us a new spirit. He was cast out of the first heaven by the hand of God. And according to election, he was cast out of that first heaven. Now, we the soul have a choice to make. Well, what's our choice? Are you going to obey the spirit or are you going to obey the flesh? Are you going to look and see things according to the spirit? Or are you going to look and see things according to the flesh? And if you feed your spiritual man, he's going to win this battle. And if you feed your carnal man, he's going to win this battle. And the way to feed your spiritual man is giving him the word of God, giving him the sword of the spirit and let him swing it. Well, how's he going to swing it? He's not going to swing it unless you open your mouth and speak it. The Bible says in Romans 10.10, For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Folks, that's swinging your sword. Joshua and Caleb swung their sword. David swung his sword. He spoke faith against Goliath, and he spoke the end from the beginning, just like God tells us to do. Calling things to be not as though they were. It makes you look like a fool to the world. But that's what we have to look like to the world. We have to speak the end from the beginning. And that's what it is when you claim your salvation. You're speaking the end from the beginning. You haven't been manifestly saved in your soul and your body yet. And the only thing that is manifestly saved in you is your spirit. And the only way your soul is going to be manifestly saved is if you give the sword to your spirit, man, and let him go in there and forcefully take the kingdom of heaven. Matthew 11 and 12 says, The kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and men of violence take it by force. We have to take it by force. It ain't going to come automatically. The devil speaks into your mind and the flesh speaks into your mind things that are contrary to the word of God. you got to cast that down. And that's using your sword. 
And you have to say, nope, that's not a legal thought. Cast it down. And that way, the devil can't get a stronghold on you. And if you cast down thoughts that are not kingdom thoughts, you got to do it every day. We have been given the authority to take this soul for Christ, glory to God. That's what sanctification is. Taking the soul for Jesus. And we've been given that authority. But you got to do it by force. Luke 16, 16 says the law and the prophets were until John. From that time, the gospel of the kingdom of God is preached and every man entereth violently into it. So we have to enter violently into the kingdom of God. We got to take it. The kingdom of God doesn't start out being the kingdom of God. The kingdom of this world, it says in Revelation 11 and 15, the kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Well, guess what? Your soul doesn't start out being the promised land. It starts out being Canaan's land. That Canaanite has to die, and there's only one way you can do it. you got to take up the sword and kill him. The word of God will put him to death. Well, what's the mind of the spirit? The mind of the spirit is the leadership over the spirit. It's the head of the spirit. Well, what's the mind of the flesh? The mind of the flesh is the head over the flesh. Every army has its head. And you can decapitate that enemy's head. Just don't permit yourself to think thoughts that are contrary to the word of God. Cast out every thought and imagination that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. And what you know about God, change your mind, talk and speak what the word of God says. And if you speak it, guess what? The body's going to follow. That's what James said. That little bitty rudder will turn that great big ship. That's the word of the Lord. You start confessing the word of God and you'll start turning in to that hundred fruit man or woman of God that God wants you to be. James chapter 1 verse 21 says, Wherefore, putting away all filthiness and overflowing of wickedness, receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your soul. Able to conquer the soul in the second heaven. Able to conquer the promised land. Receive with meekness. That means humble yourself. Verse 22. But be ye doers of the word and not hearers only deluding your own self. Well, it's easy to just enjoy studying the word. The Bible says it's sweet to the mouth, but it's bitter to the belly. You know why the belly? Because the Bible says their God is their flesh. Their God is their belly. The belly is the flesh and really doesn't like that word. When you go to put the word into action, that's going to separate between the people who are really believers and the ones that are not. A lot of people can enjoy the word, but not as many people are going to take up their sword and forcefully take the kingdom into their life. This is how you're going to do it. Receive with meekness the implanted or inborn word, which is able to save your soul. First Peter 1 verse 9 says, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your soul. Folks, we got to fight this good fight of the faith in order to lay hold. You know, the Bible says that in Timothy, that you have to fight a fight in order to manifestly lay hold on life eternal. First Timothy 6 and 12. Fight the good fight of the faith. Lay hold on the life eternal, whereunto thou was called. You see what we're called to? 
It's not the world called to come to Jesus. It's, it's us called to lay hold of a life eternal. And how do we do that? We fight the good fight of the faith. Take up the sword of the spirit. Listen, somebody was going to live in that promised land. Either the Israelite was going to die there or the Canaanite was going to die there. But somebody was going to die there. And that's the way it is. And goes on and says, And didst confess the good confession in the sight of many witnesses. Verse 18, that they do good. He's talking about the rich. That they be rich in good works, that they be ready to distribute, willing to communicate. Laying up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come, that they may lay hold on the life, which is life indeed. You see, we have to win this battle. And according to those verses, we have to win this battle, and we don't have a choice. Because if you don't win this battle, you don't have eternal life. Because Jesus said that a person that doesn't bear fruit is going to be cast forth into outer darkness. He said some will bear fruit, some 30, some 60, and some 100 fold. And where that fruit is born is in the promised land, in the land of the soul. James chapter 5 and verse 19 says, My brethren, if any among you err from the truth and one convert him, let him know that he who converts a sinner from the error of his way shall save a soul from death and shall cover a multitude of sins. And if that's true for someone else, that's true for us too. When we get delivered from error, this is what he's calling being converted here. Somebody errs from the truth and converts him. In other words, being converted from his error, he's saving a soul from death. In other words, being delivered from our errors, we are saving a soul from death. Even if it's our own, we're saving a soul from death and covering a multitude of sin. In other words, he's getting this person back under the blood of Jesus. Glory to God. And that's true for us too. If we go astray from the Lord, we'll stray from the truth and we're getting out from under the blood and our sins are not being covered. When you become converted back to the truth, you're saving your soul. Your soul and you are saving a soul from death and covering a multitude of sin. And you can get out and walk out from under the Lord in your own rebellion. Now, we see all through the scriptures, it's our job, like James 1, 22 and 23, to not only be hearers of the word, but also doers of the word. We have to take up our sword and we have to fight the battle. We study these scriptures in order to renew our minds so that we can have a sword, so that we can have a helmet of salvation, so that we can fight against the devil, who in some way has taken control of our promised land through the Canaanites and the lusts of the flesh. We have to fight a battle in order to take it back so that we can rule in this promised land and enter into rest. Once you kill a Canaanite, you ain't got to go back and kill him again. You can just live in this house in peace because he won't battle with you anymore. He's dead. That's what the rest is. And when you walk by faith in the word of God, you're putting to death that old man. And he won't bother you again. So get rid of that snake, okay? 
Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 39 says, But we are not of them that shrink back into perdition or destruction, but of them that have faith into, unto the saving of the soul. The Bible says he chose us from the beginning unto salvation in belief of the truth and sanctification of the spirit. Our salvation that we've claimed, we've claimed it by faith. And I'll be, I wish everybody understood that. You're claiming something by faith, but you have to endure in faith to receive the manifestation of it. And the manifestation of salvation is deliverance from the curse of sin and of death. The manifestation of salvation is Jesus in you. That's the manifestation of salvation. It's to have your soul as his soul. You already have a spirit. And everybody born again has a spirit. But now we need his soul. His soul is his mind, his character, and his nature. And that's why the Bible talks so much about the saving of the soul. Second Timothy chapter 3 and verse 15 and that from a babe. Well, he's talking to an apostle of the Lord. He's talking to Timothy. Did you know that Timothy was an apostle? He's addressing an apostle here. So the apostle Paul said to himself, if he didn't keep his body under, he would be cast away and rejected or reprobated. That's what that word means. Now he's talking to another apostle, Timothy, and he tells him, Thou hast known the sacred, sacred writings which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. Every scripture inspired of God is also profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for instruction, which is in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, furnished completely unto every good work. And also, I might add, furnish completely with all of the sword, the helmet, and everything you need to fight with, and the shield. Second Timothy 4 and 3, For the time will come when they will not endure the sound doctrine. They can't bear fruit either, can they? So they can't be saved either. They got away from the gospel, but the good news is that we have been perfected in Christ. And they got away from the gospel and got to looking at the giants. The second heaven and the third heaven are both spiritual. You can get your telescope and look as far out there in space as you can, and you ain't going to see either one of them. Now, I I know some people think that they're out there, but they're not. You're never going to see them. The second and third heaven are in a different realm. Your soul is in a different realm. Your soul is in a spiritual realm with your spirit. Your body is in a physical realm. You see how perfect this parallel is? When your body dies, what happens? Your spirit and your soul leaves your body and nobody ever sees it happen. They can look right through your spirit and your soul and not see nothing. Why? Because they're both in a different realm. That's the way it is with the second heaven. You don't see the second heaven. You don't see the prince of the power of the air. The prince of the power of the air rules from the second heaven over the first heaven. Not unless he physically steps into the first heaven can you see him. You don't see him because he is in the second heaven. Look at 1 Kings 17. A lot of people deny this, but I'll tell you what. Write this verse down so you can show them. They call it soul sleep. 
they think the thing that comes out of your body is your spirit. They think your soul sleeps with your body because it has an affinity with the physical. That ain't true. That's not what the Bible says. First Kings 17 and 20 says, And he cried unto the Lord and said, O Lord my God, hast thou also brought evil upon the widow with whom I sojourned by slaying her son? And he stretched himself upon the child three times and cried unto the Lord and said, O Lord my God, I pray thee, let this child's soul come into him again. And the Lord hearkened unto the voice of Elijah, and the soul of the child came into him again, and he revived. Well, I picked this one because it misses the soul. His body was dead, and his spirit and soul were gone, and Jesus called it back. The word life in the scriptures is many times the same word as soul. The life of the flesh is in the blood. And that's why the Jehovah's Witnesses folks don't take transfusion. Transfusion. They think you're going to get somebody else's nature. Genesis chapter 35 and verse 18 says, And it came to pass as her soul was departing, for she died, that she called his name Ben-Oniah, but his father called him Benjamin. There's a lot of religions that don't believe this. They believe in soul sleep. They believe that your soul sleeps with your body and that it's not going to be resurrected until the end. Your spirit goes on to be with the Lord. Have you ever heard of uh, soul travel? Uh, witches do this. Their spirit and their soul would come out of their body. And you might ask, well, how does that happen? Well, since the soul is what gives life to the body, how is it that their soul can come out of their body? Well, it can. Here's the reason. There's a thing called the silver cord. And the Ekankar people know about the silver cord. That's the witches. The silver cord is what connects the soul to the body. And this is something the occultists and spiritualist people know about. They know about the silver cord. And the Bible talks about the silver cord right here in Ecclesiastes chapter 12 and verse 5. Yea, they shall be afraid of that which is high, and terror shall be in the way, and the almond tree shall blossom, and the grasshopper shall be a burden, and desire shall fail, because man goes to his everlasting home, and the mourners go about the streets. Verse 6, before the silver cord is loosed, that means snapped asunder, or the golden bowl is broken, or the pitcher is broken at the fountain, or the wheel broken at the cistern, and the dirt dust returning to the earth as it was, and the spirit returneth unto God who gave it. Vanity of vanity, saith the preacher, all is vanity. Now, the silver cord, according to those folks, the witches, and I believe, according to what we're reading right here, is what connects your soul to your body. It actually permits your soul to come out of your body as long as the silver cord is not snapped. There is an um, um, umbilical cord, not only physical, but um, an uh, umbilical cord, spiritually speaking, as well. Those people that do soul travel, uh, that's the devil using that particular revelation right there. They see these things in the spirit. 
And people have told us of, uh, of their experiences of going through doors and uh, unlocking their own door. We've had this happen just recently by someone that's been taken over by the devil. The devil copied God. All through the scriptures, you see the devil copying God. And if the devil can copy it, the Lord can can do it, and he can take you out of your body if he wants to. He has the ability to do that. The soul is awake all the time. It's either awake on earth or awake in hell or awoke, awake in, in heaven, but it's awake. What he's resurrecting from the grave is not the spirit and the soul. They never die. The Bible talks about them being under the altar in heaven in Revelation 6. The, told, the Lord told them to be patient until the rest of your brethren have fulfilled their course. He brings all these spirits and souls back. And then the resurrection is talking about the life that you live down here. The physical life, the resurrection of a body, a new body, a resurrected body. And it's not talking about your, your uh, spirit and your soul. Your spirit and soul can live without your body. But your body can't live without your spirit and your soul. Genesis chapter 2 and verse 7, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground, breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. That word breath there is R-U-A-C-H, Rosh, which also the word for spirit. So when God put the spirit in man, he became a living soul. The Spirit gives life to the soul. All that your soul needs to have life is your spirit. It doesn't need your body, but it does need your spirit to have life. Leviticus 17 and 11 says, For the life, or the soul, the nephesh is the Old Testament word for soul, of the flesh is in the blood. So the soul is the life of the flesh. The spirit is the life of the soul, and the soul is the life of the body. The soul doesn't need the body to live. The body needs needs the soul to live. The soul needs the spirit to live. But the spirit doesn't need the soul. It's from higher to lower every time. And it goes on to say in Leviticus, And I have given it to you upon the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that makes atonement by reason of the life or the soul. Listen. People are going to get a different resurrected body. Listen, we're not all going to get the same body. It's according to what they have done, whether good or bad, that they're going to be rewarded at this judgment. The judgment seat of Christ, the footprint of tribunal. Your soul, when it comes out of your body, looks like you. The life of the soul of the flesh is in the blood. And everywhere your blood is, your soul is there as well. If your soul could come out of your body and you could see in the spirit realm, you'd see that it looks like you. Your body is different. Your body is this star, moon, or sun glory, one or the other. And we go through stages depending upon our works. We're going, we're, we're growing through these stages from glory to glory. We behold as in the mirror the glory of the Lord are transformed in the same image from glory to glory, even as from the Lord the Spirit. And the body talks about us having a body as he has. And that's what we're fighting this battle for. To bear fruit in the land of the soul and to put on this new body that none of us even sees yet. 
the one that's going to come up out of the grave is going to be according to our state of being at the time of death. Glory to God, glory to God. Well, Father God, we just thank you so much for your word that tells us how we're made and how we can be made. And Lord, we thank you for, for fulfilling this a hundredfold in each and every one of our lives in Jesus' name. Well, folks, I'm out of time. God bless you. We'll see you again next time. God willing. For information, materials, and to contribute, go to unleavenedbreadministries.org. Contributions only may be addressed to David Eels, Post Office Box 231616, Montgomery, Alabama, 36123.